Welcome to the Age of Jeremy. Before we get started, thank you so much. It's been a fantastic year. I'm really sorry that this episode took so long to get out. Uh, we've had a lot of stuff going on. I've started a few uh, more businesses. Um, we're getting into um, the, uh, I guess, more into the crypto space and more into the alternative crypto space with the metaverse. And so we've been working on a lot of that. We're working on creating an amazing, amazing uh, project. We're doing a project. I'm not going to talk about what it is. It's going to be coming out next year. Um, that is a company that's owned by 3T Fitness. And I have actually left the bank, but I'm not actually going to talk about it today. I just wanted to mention it. Um, I am actually free from the matrix and I am working for myself and with my partner, uh, Coach JV. So that being said, I'm actually going to make a special episode about that coming into after this episode, maybe a week from this episode. This episode should be airing on the 4th of January. So this is the first episode into the new year. And now that I am free from the matrix, we will be doing these much more often. And we're going to try to really build this show and get this show going. So if you could just do me a favor, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at age of Jeremy, where you can get some investment news, see into my life. And again, I'm going to be the leader in financial education, investments and crypto accounting, taxes and business advice. And if I'm not the leader yet, like I said, I'm going to be the leader. I am the leader. Also, follow our podcast network for Age of Radioverse on Instagram at Age of Radioverse. We have 100 podcasts strong and growing. If you want to be a part of the Age of Radioverse, go ahead and hit me up. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Age of Jeremy Q. Um, you can also check me out at TikTok at Age of Jeremy. If you want to be on the podcast and chat, email me at jeremy.quintania at ageofradioverse.org. I'm sorry, that is jeremy.quintania at ageofradio.org. We are looking for small business owners and influencers to share the stories soon you'll be able to put your information into the website at ageofjeremy.com and you can get onto the show um and we don't want we're not going to charge you to be on the show this is all going to be free and fun and we're not going to pay you to be on the show unless like maybe you're like this really big person maybe like gary vaynerchuk maybe i would pay to be on the show i don't know what we would talk about um actually i know what we would talk about we would talk about being kind because he is on this these rants about being kind lately and i agree with that and i'm happy that he's doing that and about nice guys finishing first so but anyways, you can be on the podcast no matter how small, no matter how big you or your brand is. We like good stories because that's what podcasting and that's what life is all about. So, all right, let's do today's podcast. My name is Jeremy Quintanilla. You are listening to Age of Jeremy. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm the co-founder of Age of Radio and 3T Fitness and well, other businesses that I am working on. This podcast is about everything that I learn and the trials and tribulations it took to learn them. I hope you enjoy. All right, let's go ahead and talk about some market news today. I want to uh, reaffirm something that right now there isn't a crypto crash going on if you're involved with cryptocurrency. And I think that you should be involved with cryptocurrency. I do think that it can build wealth for a lot of people. But more importantly, I think that the technology behind it is what is going to be the most important thing. And what I mean by that is the decentralized applications that you can build on the Ethereum blockchain, the blockchain itself, how smart contracts work, and how we can assign ownership between transactions. Now, um, if you're looking on Twitter right now, there's a lot of stuff about the crypto crash going on. And what's probably happening right now, my assessment is there's been an inflated market over the last two years. It's going to de it's going to um correct itself. I don't think it's necessarily a crash. It's just gonna be a really big 
reset because so much money has been flowing into the system over the last couple of years that it is going to be difficult for it not to have these types of corrections, especially within such a volatile market as the cryptocurrency space is. So I'm, I'm using Coindesk today to talk about some cryptocurrency uh, volatility ruled crypto markets in 2021 from 69,000 Bitcoin to Elon Musk Dogecoin to the moon. Uh, NFTs exploded into the mainstream consciousness. China cracked down on crypto this time for real. They cracked down on crypto because they stopped the use of mining. Um, Coinbase stock went public. El Salvador bought into the dip. Um, El Salvador also claimed that they're going to build a bit city. Digital tokens like Solano's, Sol, and Polygon's Matic shot up by multiples of 90 or more. And traders in traditional markets finally got a Bitcoin ETF to some degree. And here's how it all went down. And I'm reading this from Coindesk. Uh, This is a news article from December 31st, 2021. So go check it out. Um, It was another characteristically unpredictable year in crypto markets. Bitcoin staged a powerful rally to start off 2021, punctuated by tweets from the billionaire Tesla founder Elon Musk that sent prices soaring for the joke, then Dogecoin. Soon, though, China's crackdown on cryptocurrency mining and increasingly nagging concerns about the Bitcoin blockchain's environmental footprint cast a pall over the market. Instead, crypto traders aped um, into all sorts of bets on NFTs, video game link tokens like Axie Affinities, AXS, and up and coming blockchains like Solano and Terra. Were they fads or a technological revolution? El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as legal tender and the largest cryptocurrency eventually hit an new all-time high around $69,000 per coin. They're referring to Bitcoin. But by the end of the year, it was a clear bullish traders wouldn't real. It was a clear bullish traders wouldn't realize the widely predicted dream of $100,000 print. Things can't go up forever. Um, Things usually fear um, or I guess people coming to uh, a grip on what's actually happening cause those sell-offs to happen. People also sell things off because they need money because of situations. And when those things happen, traders, because they're trying to look at everything, especially charters, are trying to look and see everything that's happening in that, um, that uh, it's trying to predict what people are going to be doing. And that sell-off, someone sees it, then they start selling and someone else starts selling. And we get into this really volatile market. So not to go too deep into this article, but the point is, is that if you if you want to get rich, have an investment strategy, whether that's in cryptocurrency or traditional investments like stocks and bonds, um, if you want to be a part of this revolution, which I think that you should be, I would learn about cryptocurrencies. I would learn about smart contracts, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. I would learn about uh, dApps and I would learn about... Um, the blockchain in itself. And that just takes some time, research, reading, and things of that that nature. And you can get a good understanding of it and you don't have to be a genius. But that's kind of what's going on. If you're looking on Twitter, uh, the markets are going up and down when it comes to those coin prices. And that's all I really wanted to talk about today because I, I want to reassure you that this is just a correction in the market we won't see a bear market, in my opinion, a full bear market or a full crash until probably maybe Q2. But that's only in certain types of cryptocurrencies. There's also other types of cryptocurrencies that I don't think that that's going to happen in. And those types of cryptocurrencies are native coins to get the gaming infrastructure like Gala, um, I think, or, or the metaverse infrastructure like a company called Blocktopia. Those types of things, which I would encourage you to go and research, I don't think that those types of uh 
those types of coins are going to have the type of setback that coins like Bitcoin and Ethereum and Doge and Shiba and those type types of what we refer to as shitcoin, well, not Ethereum and Bitcoin, but Dogecoin and Shiba or shitcoins, those types of corrections and that type of crash was going to eventually come. Um, but I don't think that we're here yet. I think that it's still too new of a space and too many people are still putting money into it. I think what we're seeing right now is a correction. So to that end, what's kind of going on in the regular markets? The S&P 500 has had a um, uh, pretty good December so far. Um, I'm just pulling up a Market Watch article here, kind of look and see where we're at. Now, the S&P 500 is at 4,777.38 points. Um, it has been a rocky start into December, but Christmas came and it kind of rallied and, had, and hit an all-time high. Uh, and... Uh, the Dow's at 36,357 points. Uh, the Nasdaq's at 15,697 and 81 points. Well, 15,681. 15,694.56 points, Jesus. Uh, so uh, the reason why I want to bring that up is this is what's going to happen. And this has happened for the most of time. Uh, and so essentially what happens is at the end of the year, all of these people, right, selling and buying and selling stocks on the aftermarket is like buying and selling goods of any type of goods, right? Except these, these goods are attached to a company. So when they're buying and selling stocks, they have sales quotas that they need to meet and they have to meet those sales quotas by the end of the year. So anybody that was trailing in December are rushing to get their sales quotas in so they can hit a bonus. Okay. And then they're going to pull off. So that's why you have have a sign of a slowdown in December because everybody's doing Christmas. They're not really caring about their sales numbers, but then you might have this uptick in the middle of December of people that are just trying to get some closing, some last in sales goals so that they can get a bonus, like I said. Now, what happens in January is because the, the year's starting off good and they want their numbers to start off good, you have the two-week effect. And so the two-week effect starts at the beginning of the year so that you can go, they're going to go into the new year, they're going to start buying and buying and selling and selling and buying and selling stocks. So you're going to usually see a big pump in the first two or three weeks of January as they start running into the new year. Plus, people are you know doing their resolutions, they're feeling good, they're setting new goals for themselves, they're trying to go and make money. And those stockbrokers, that's what essentially happens. So if you were thinking about buying any stocks right now, I would recommend to start buying them now and then look and see where they are towards the end of January and see if you want to continue to hold them. Now, I traditionally just buy companies that I enjoy, things that I like, things that I think are going to be into the future. And I'm kind of like, I hold them. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't sell stocks when I think that there's going to be a something bad that's going to happen to it, or I don't think that it's going to go. But you want to have a pretty good long horizon on your stock purchases and where you think these companies are going to go because they could go forever. And as long as they're doing well and they're buying and selling and turning a revenue and have good governance, those are stocks that you're going to want to keep for the long term. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take profits and it doesn't mean that you should just keep them there and not do anything with it. You just kind of have to find out what feels good for you. And that's what you have to do. Um, so is the U.S. stock market closed for New Year's Eve? No, and it's not even taking a New Year's Day holiday this year. Uh, here's why is a, an article that's on MarketWatch. Actually, I don't really care about that one. Let's go and find something more interesting that's happening in the world today on this Friday, December 31st, 2021. Let's see here. Let's go to investing. And again, I get all my news and uh, information, well, some of my information from MarketWatch. MarketWatch is owned by the Wall Street Journal or Dow Jones, um, but Dow Jones, besides the fact that it's owned by the horrible freaking news corporation, News Corp, um, it is a pretty good MarketWatch, Wall Street Journal, and Barron's are three of my favorite magazines. So I encourage you to go and uh, look into that. Let's see. 
Okay, look at this. Here's a good one. These stocks are down at least 20% from 2021 highs, but Wall Street sees them gaining as much as 87% in 2022. More than 90 large cap stocks are down at least 20% from their 2021 highs, but analysts analysts love many of them, including JD.com, PayPal, and Disney. I am very bullish on Disney, and I'm very bullish on PayPal, um, so I think that you should actually buy those. I would recommend buying those anyways and having them a part of your portfolio, but let's find out why these people think that they're going to be be doing good. Um, okay, so stocks and bear markets that analysts love. For a broader list of large cap stocks listed in the U.S., including those of some of China's biggest internet players, they added the components of the NASDAQ 100 index, which is NDX, if you want to take advantage of the entire index, comprised of the 100 largest NASDAQ listed companies by market capitalization and tracked by the Invesco QQQ Trust. So look up QQQ if you have some time. Let me see here. I want to see what they say about Disney or did that, was that just a headline to pull me in? Was just a, just a headline to pull me in. This article is garbage. Not a good one for market watch in my opinion. Okay. Um, You probably know the S and P 500 is weighted by market capitalization, but you not might be aware of how extreme the weighting can be. Uh, And it goes into talk about a little bit of the weighting of uh, how these stocks are. Apple uh, is actually up 35.1% price change in 2021 and their share of the, uh, uh, SPY, um, which is a, a, a spider S&P 500 ETF trust. Uh, it actually owns 6.9% of that. So they have a- Apple in their trust. They have Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, and Alphabet uh, Inc. Class C, if you want to get uh, some shares without any types of voting rights. Um, yeah, so this, this is a horrible, 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 horrible news article. So, you know what? I think there's nothing really that exciting happening here. Let's see what's on the, the latest in here. And again, just to give you guys um, a heads up, I did not do any research before jumping into this. There are wildfires burning hundreds of homes in Colorado that you should be uh, possibly interested in. Oh, my God, this looks horrible. Tens of thousands of Clorat. Coloradans driven from their neighborhoods by wind whipped wildfires anxiously awaited to learn what was left standing of their lives Friday after the flames burned on an estimated 580 homes. That is horrible. At least one first responder and six other people were injured in the blazes that erupted outside Denver on Thursday morning, usually unusually late in the year following an extremely dry fall and amid a winter nearly devoid of snow so far. Boulder County Sheriff Joe Pell said there could be more injuries and also deaths because of the intensity of the fast-moving fires propelled by winds that gusted up to 105 miles per hour. This is the kind of fire we can't fight head-on, Pell said. We actually had deputy sheriffs and firefighters in areas that had to pull out because they just got overrun. Mike Granola and his family were relaxing at their home in the city of Superior and looking forward to celebrating a belated Christmas later in the day when reports of nearby grass fire quickly gave way to an order to leave immediately. It's one thing horribly to have a fire like this, but it's also horrible to have a fire around this time of the year when we want to spend time with loved ones and get ready into the new year. So my, um, uh, I guess my thoughts, I don't pray. Um, I guess my thoughts, um, and best in wishes go out to the people of Colorado. We do have family that's in Colorado. That's been, I'm not sure how close they are to this or dealing with it, but I guess, uh, they've been giving information to my mother-in-law and it's been pretty, pretty intense. Uh, other than that, I didn't see anything really worth mentioning this week. Um, other than kind of a, a year in review for, uh, coin, go look at, uh, market cap, the volatility rule 2021, 
I'm sorry, go look at Coindesk uh, and MarketWatch to get your uh, news. Oh, and real quick, Bitcoin's up to 48,028 right now. It's up 1.73%. Ethereum is up 3,782.08%. Solano uh, or Solana is up $175.45. XRP is up to 0.84 or 84 cents. Um, and Terra is up 88.97. Those are some of the big players that are coming into the new year. Um, so you might want to take a look at those. Uh, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Pepper Diet Cherry Vanilla. Actually, it's not really brought to you by that. I am actually going to crack open a Diet Dr. Pepper. I know, I know, it's horrible for me, but there's no sugar in it. There's just that other dark thing that's horrible for people and makes their guts grow, from what I'm told. Oh no, I just spilt some kind of on the desk. Almost hit the mixer, but not, not really. Okay, so we're going to talk about Ethereum today. So what is Ethereum? So the two most popular, what I call legitimate coins, as opposed to shit coins or alternative coins, are Bitcoin and Ethereum. However, I would argue that Ethereum is the most popular crypto project. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have its problems, but I am saying that it is the most important. And so today, I'm going to use a mixture of my amazing voice with a mixture of videos that I stole from blockgeeks.com. So no, Block Geeks on YouTube, Block Geeks on YouTube. So make sure I'm going to put posts to these in the video, the uh, description of the episode as well, because I want you to know that you should go and research these yourself. Um, and also, I want to make sure that they get credit for their voices and the videos that they put together. I think they do a fantastic job explaining these things. Um, so I'm going to talk about what Ethereum is. So what is Ethereum? Although commonly associated with Bitcoin, blockchain technology has many other applications that go beyond digital currencies. In fact, Bitcoin is only one of several hundred applications that use blockchain technology today. Until relatively recently, building blockchain applications required a background in coding, cryptography, and mathematics, as well as significant time and resources. But now, previously unimagined applications are being developed and deployed faster than ever. Ethereum is making this possible by providing developers the tools to build decentralized applications. At its simplest, Ethereum is an open software platform based on blockchain technology that enables developers to build and deploy decentralized applications. Is Ethereum similar to Bitcoin? Sort of, but not really. Like Bitcoin, Ethereum is a distributed public blockchain network. Although there are some significant technical differences between the two, the most important distinction is that Bitcoin and Ethereum differ in purpose and capability. Bitcoin offers a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system that enables online payments. Ethereum focuses on running code for any decentralized application that's deployed on its network. On the Ethereum blockchain, Ether is the cryptocurrency that fuels the network. Ether is a currency like Bitcoin, but it's also used by people on the network to pay for code execution. So what kind of code is being executed? A smart contract is a phrase used to describe an Ethereum application that can facilitate the exchange of money, content, property, shares, or anything of value. Users send Ether to interact with these self-operating computer programs, and they will run exactly as coded without any possibility of censorship, downtime, fraud, or interference. Ethereum allows developers to create whatever interactive operations they want in their smart contracts. 
This means that developers can build thousands of different applications that go beyond anything built on a blockchain before. For example, the MLB has released Crypto Baseball, an online collectible store built on Ethereum. Users can buy and sell unique collectibles using Ether, as well as earn rewards based on their real-world performance. Because this application is built on Ethereum, users are able to truly own their collectibles, just like they would in real life. Rather than building an entirely original blockchain for each new application, Ethereum enables the development of thousands of different applications all on one blockchain platform. A simple way to look at it is that Bitcoin is an app. It exchanges money in a decentralized way, and that's amazing. Ethereum, on the other hand, isn't just an app. It's more like an app store. It's a computing platform that allows developers to create any application they want on one decentralized platform. In doing so, Ethereum has removed much of the barrier to entry in creating decentralized blockchain applications. While it's still in its early days, Ethereum looks to be a truly transformational platform. With many of the most exciting applications yet to be developed, we can only begin to wonder about the possibilities that await. Ethereum, whose native coin is Ether, or ETH, E-T-H, was founded by the gentleman named Vitalik Buterin. And I may be pronouncing that wrong, as I always say on here, I say lots of stuff wrong. Now, he's a Russian-Canadian programmer and writer. What makes Ethereum so important is that as a platform, it allows anyone to deploy a permanent and immutable decentralized application, which we, which users can interact with. It has also paved the way for these concepts of decentralized finance applications. Ethereum also allows the creation and exchange of NFTs, which are non-interchangeable tokens, which connect to digital works of art or other real-world items and sold as unique digital property. So without Ethereum, we probably wouldn't have NFTs to the extent that we have them. Um, and not just the art NFTs, but any type of property that can be tokenized and, and distributed across the ledger. Now, and on top of that, there are many other cryptocurrencies that operate what is known on ERC-20 um, token, um, which are on top of the Ethereum blockchain and have utilized the platform, Ethereum, to, in, to do their initial coin offerings. If you don't know what an initial coin offering is, I'm not going to mention it here. You can go listen to episode 63, um, and I talk about initial coin offerings in that episode. Now, Ethereum has really been the catalyst and the back end for the cryptocurrency space, especially these explosions of cryptocurrency over the last couple of years, at least, especially since 2019. Now, in, in 2013, Vitalik, Vitalik Buterin, the gentleman that kind of founded Ethereum, wrote a white paper. And if you don't know what a white paper is, it's just a paper. It's nothing really that fancy. It's just that it's on a white background, like a Word document about, and, and he was writing about decentralized applications. The idea was that Bitcoin and blockchain technology could benefit from other applications besides money and needed a more robust language for application development that could lead to attaching real world assets, such as stock and property to the blockchain. So the co-founders of Ethereum they consist of Vitalik, a guy named Anthony D. Iorio, Charles Hoskinson, Mihail Elise, I'm pronouncing all these names wrong, Amir Charit, Joseph Lubin, Gavin Wood, and Jeffrey Wilk. Um, and the reason why I'm mentioning their names is because I think we only hear about some of the founders of businesses, but a lot of the times businesses have a lot of founders or people that went into them. And I just want to make sure that they get the recognition that they deserve, even though I probably pronounced their names right. And you can't probably look them all up online. It was decided that Ethereum would be a not-for-profit organization. Now, this this caused some schism within the founding partners, the gentleman that I just mentioned, and they believed it should be a for-profit company 
and that kind of divided into a few different companies. One of those companies that came out of that, if I'm if I recollect correctly, because I don't have it written in my notes exactly, was Cardano or what we refer to as the ADA token, ADA. Now, Ethereum went live in July 30th of 2015. From there, it essentially has changed the world, uh, in my opinion. Now, one of the reasons is because it allows smart contracts to be executed, which I want to talk about or explain or have a video explain what a smart contract is. Blockchains have their issues, but they are undeniably faster, cheaper, and more secure than many traditional systems. The inherent efficiency and security of blockchains is why large banks and governments are turning to them for innovative solutions to slow and labor-intensive bureaucracies. In 1994, Nick Sabo, a legal scholar and cryptographer, wrote about how self-executing contracts, or smart contracts, could be developed through the clever use of cryptography, digital signatures, and secure computation. Nick realized at the time the vast potential of contracts that could be created and executed digitally, an idea that we're just starting to see the beginnings of today. Smart contracts can help you exchange money, property, or anything of value in a transparent, conflict-free way, all while avoiding the services of a middleman. Ordinarily, you would go to a lawyer or the government, pay them, and wait to get an important document. To describe how a smart contract works, we can compare them to a vending machine. You simply drop your information and some cryptocurrency into the vending machine, or the smart contract, and your personalized escrow, driver's license, rental contract, or any other type of agreement drops out into your account. Not only can smart contracts define the rules and penalties around these agreements in the same way that a traditional contract does, but it can also automatically enforce them. Suppose you rent an apartment from me. You can do this through the blockchain by paying in cryptocurrency. You get a receipt, which is held in our virtual contract. I give you the digital entry key, which comes to you by a specified date. If the key doesn't come on time, the blockchain releases a refund. If I send the key before the rental date, the function holds it, releasing both the fee and key respectively when the date arrives. The system works on the if-then premise and is witnessed by hundreds of nodes in the blockchain, so you can expect a faultless delivery. If I give you the key, I'm sure to be paid. If you send a certain amount of cryptocurrency, you receive the key. The document is automatically cancelled after the amount of time paid for, and the code cannot be interfered with by either of us without the other knowing, since all participants are simultaneously alerted. So let's quickly look at some of the direct benefits of using smart contracts. Autonomy. You're the one making the agreement, so there's no need to rely on a broker, lawyer, or other intermediaries to confirm. The experts have already done their work in preparing the contract's code. Savings. By removing the need for an intermediary, you save money. For instance, if you sell a home the old-fashioned way, you have to pay a real estate agent to help prepare all of the necessary documents and legal permissions. Trust. Your documents are encrypted on a shared ledger that records every transaction. There's no way someone can say they lost it, didn't read it, sent the money when they didn't, or any other number of human errors. Backup. Imagine if your bank lost your savings account. On the blockchain, each and every one of your friends has your back. Your documents are duplicated many times over and are retrievable from any other node on the network. Speed. You would ordinarily have to spend time and money to manually process paperwork and documents. Smart contracts use code to automate tasks, thereby shaving hours off of many business processes. Accuracy. Automated contracts are not only faster and cheaper, but also avoid the errors that come from manually filling out piles and piles of forms. Smart contracts are far from perfect. What if bugs get in the code? How would governments regulate disputes with such contracts? How would countries tax these smart contract transactions? What happens if I send the wrong code, or I send the right code, but my apartment is condemned before the rental date arrives? If this were the traditional contract, one of the parties could rescind it in court, but the blockchain is a different situation. The contract executes no matter what, and there's no way to revert transactions once they're completed. The list of challenges and niche technicalities goes on. Experts are trying to unravel them, but these critical issues often dissuade potential adopters from signing on. 
Several platforms using smart contracts already exist, like MakerDAO's decentralized lending or the MLB's platform for buying and selling digital collectibles. The success of these platforms shows that when the issues are ironed out, smart contracts are amazing. While these may be only a couple of examples, rest assured that some of the brightest minds in technology are working on making smart contracts an everyday reality. So smart contracts are self-executing contracts with the terms of the agreement between buyer and seller being directly written into the lines of code. Now, a person by the name of Nick Sasbo, an American computer scientist who invented a virtual currency called Bitgold in 1998, defined smart contracts as computerized transaction protocols that execute terms of contract. Now, smart contracts render transactions traceable, transparent, and irreversible. And this is a process process that allows people to buy and sell NFTs and what has created the new concept of ownership that we are entering into. And that's what is really exciting about this space. Um, apart from all of the the things that people think are fraudulent and sketchy and scammy about this space, the smart contract concept is probably the most important in my opinion. Now, bes- well, besides the blockchain itself. Now, besides the smart contract execution, it allows you to develop decentralized applications. This is important because it moves open software it moves open source software forward, right? And so a decentralized application, which we're going to refer to as dApps or dApps, um, dApps is an application built on a decentralized network that combines a smart contract and a front-end user interface. What are dApps? Let's imagine your car transporting passengers while you're at work or your computer utilizing its spare capacity to serve people across the globe. Imagine being paid for browsing the web by taking ownership of your information and attention. That world is not far away. A paradigm shift in the way we view software is approaching. When Bitcoin made us reassess our definition of a currency, it gave us a sneak peek of the future, a world running on decentralized applications, or dApps. As the concept is still in its infancy, there might not be one definition of what a dApp is. However, there are some common features. Open source. Ideally, all changes should be decided by user and developer consensus. Its code base should be open to scrutiny. Decentralized. All records of the application's operation must be stored on a public and decentralized blockchain to encourage transparency, trust, and efficiency. Incentivized. Anyone that helps secure the application's blockchain should be rewarded with cryptographic tokens. If we adhere to the above definition, the first dApp was Bitcoin itself. Bitcoin is an implemented blockchain solution that arose around the problem of centralization. It allows for the transfer of currency without the need for an authority to deem transactions valid. This lack of a central authority is what makes Bitcoin a decentralized application. While both Bitcoin and Ethereum may be defined as dApps, Ethereum has a bigger plan in mind. Ethereum is, in some sense, a kind of dApp library. Ethereum enables developers to write programs called smart contracts that are stored on the Ethereum blockchain. These smart contracts are then stored and executed across every node in the network, making them decentralized applications. Rather than needing to develop an entirely new blockchain for every application, Ethereum created a secure platform for dApps to be built and deployed. So now that we know what makes a dApp, let's talk about why you should use them. Trust. You never have to take the word of big corporations, marketing, or PR agencies. All of the code is open source, so you can see for yourself what the application does and how it does it. Guaranteed execution. Because the code is executed across an enormous network, you'll get the desired results as long as a single node exists. The network will practically never go offline as long as your code exists on it. You know how sometimes Facebook or YouTube is just down? Not on the blockchain. Censorship resistance. Another benefit of having the code stored and executed on the blockchain is that it's impossible to take down an application without taking down every single node on the network. If you release a banking application that's better and cheaper than the bank, the bank can't just buy it and close it down. The application will always live on the blockchain for everyone to use. 
Many businesses today are built around the idea of centralization. If you create a safe and secure platform for people to transact, then you can take a cut of the transactions in exchange for facilitating them. But what happens when that's no longer needed? What will these businesses do now that Bitcoin has proven that no authority is needed to facilitate safe and secure transactions? Decentralized applications have put middleman-based businesses on notice. The fact that many large corporations are hurrying to secure their place in the blockchain movement serves as a testament to their possibilities. DApps are free from the control and interface of a single authority. They also safeguard privacy. So DApps can run on a peer-to-peer -peer network or a blockchain network. Now, a really popular peer-to-peer -peer network you may have heard of was BitTorrent. This is a P2P network or peer-to-peer -peer network whereby multiple participants are consuming content, feeding or seeding content, or simultaneously performing both functions. In the context of crypto cryptocurrencies, DApps run on a blockchain network in a public open source centralized environment and are free from control and interference by any singular authority. This enables users to engage in transactions directly with one another as opposed to relying on a central authority. The user of a dApp or dApp will pay the developer an amount of cryptocurrency to download and run the program source code or to end to get the program source code. This source code is the smart contract which allows users to complete transactions without revealing personal information. But at the same time, it provides transparency of what address owns that property. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the difference between proof of work and proof of stake, which I did in my episode 63. But I kind of want to reiterate it because Ethereum currently uses proof of work, but it's going to be moving to this thing called proof of stake. But first, let's take a quick break. So like I said before the break, currently Ethereum uses what's called proof of work. If you are unfamiliar with the term or didn't listen to episode 63, here's a quick reminder about it and how it compares to proof of stake. You might have heard about Ethereum working to move from consensus based on proof of work to one based on proof of stake. In this video, we'll cover the main differences between proof of work and proof of stake. We'll also briefly cover a definition of mining, the process through which new coins are released to the network. Proof of work requires nodes on the network to perform a complex mathematical puzzle, also called mining, as a way of verifying the legitimacy of transactions on the network. This mathematical puzzle has a key feature, asymmetry. The work must be hard for the miner to solve, but easy for the network to check. All the network miners compete to be the first to find a solution through brute force that requires a huge number of attempts. As a reward for verifying these transactions, they're paid cryptocurrency from the network. Once verified, the transactions are placed in a block and appended to the public blockchain. The difficulty of this puzzle increases proportionally to the amount of computing power in the network that is working on the puzzles. That is to say, the more miners there are, the more difficult the network makes it to verify transactions and earn the reward. The competitive nature of the difficulty increase incentivizes miners to optimize their ability to solve the puzzle, and thus, optimize their ability to verify transactions. This makes maintaining the integrity of the network a competitive system with rewards for those that do it well. In order to take over the network, one would have to control 51% of the computing power of the network. Given how large major blockchains are, that would be incredibly difficult, though not impossible. So what is proof of stake, and how is it any better? Proof of stake is still an algorithm, and the purpose is the same as proof of work, but the process is quite different. Unlike proof of work, where the algorithm rewards miners who solve a mathematical problem that creates a new block, the creator of a new block is chosen from a pool of users that have staked a certain amount of cryptocurrency. This means that in the proof-of-stake system, there is no puzzle to complete, and so no reward for doing so. Instead, the miners take a fee from every transaction. This also means that because nobody is competing to solve every block, there's no massive energy requirement. 
The penalty for trying to harm the network is the possibility of losing the money you've staked, which could easily be upwards of $10,000. In order to take over a proof-of-stake network, one would need to own 51% of the supply of the cryptocurrency on that chain. This would be a prohibitively expensive undertaking for any major network, and is less likely to happen than controlling 51% of the computing power, something that can already be achieved by mining pools. Proof-of-work miners need a lot of energy to solve their puzzle. Verifying one Bitcoin transaction with proof-of-work requires the same amount of electricity as 1.57 American households use in a day. Proof-of-stake lifts the massive energy requirement from the network in favor of a monetary penalty for bad actors. Developers worried about this energy problem want to switch to the proof-of-stake method for a greener and cheaper form of consensus. Ethereum is planning to move or upgrade to proof-of-stake sometime in the near future, hopefully, and a lot of people are really looking forward to it. And it's going to do it, and it's going to use a concept called sharding. So what exactly is sharding? Well, I'm going to tell you with this video, with this audio from this video. Sharding is a type of database partitioning that breaks up very large data sets into smaller chunks or shards and stores them in separate machines. This makes the data a lot faster to store and a lot easier to query. As far as blockchains are concerned, every node has to store all the information on the blockchain locally and process all incoming transactions. This provides a lot of security, but isn't very scalable because the entire network can only store as much data and process as many transactions as a single machine. The Ethereum core team has come up with a proposal which uses sharding to divide the blockchain data amongst nodes and allow nodes to process different transactions in parallel. Instead of every node performing every transaction and storing all the data, nodes will be broken up into smaller groups and each group will handle one part of the data and transaction processing. In this way, the network can scale without sacrificing security as there is still more than one node storing each piece of data and processing every transaction. A lot of people believe that as long as Ethereum can launch Ethereum 2.0, then they will remain a top player in the crypto space for the future. The reason why crypto is so important is because it is decentralizing and hoping and, and hoping to give the ownership and governance back to the people. Blockchain isn't going away. By May of 2017, this was four or five years ago, Ethereum had over 116 enterprise partners with some really big names like Microsoft, JP Morgan, Deloitte, Accenture, DNY Mellon, Ing, Sam, or ING, uh, Samsung, SDS. And the reason why I am trying to explain this thing is to educate people on this because it is the future of open source software as long as the corporations and the governments do not regulate that out of it and make it owned by them which is something that I'm always fearful, not being owned by the government and not being owned by corporations, but being not being able to be owned by the actual people that are benefiting from it. Now, I'm a lot of, I'm really happy that a lot of people are making money off of building and selling of coins. People in our 3T Warrior Academy or 3T Academy, they have made hundreds of thousands of dollars buying and selling and trading coins since we started talking about cryptocurrencies in 2020 and educating people on it. That I am super happy for and I hope that continues. However, the blockchain is Generation Z's internet, and I don't think people understand that. It will grow even more as Generation Alpha grows. And Generation Z is like the, are the millennials' kids, I guess. And the Alpha are essentially, 
with without deciding where Generation Z's kids and like at the lower end of Generation Z's age range. Now, I believe people just see the the buying and selling of Dogecoin and they see these people getting wealthy and they see all of this content and all this information coming to them from all these places. But the technology is what is important here and the governance is what is important here. So I encourage you to read and educate yourself on cryptocurrencies and blockchain and this space to be part of your investment strategy and part of your understanding of where technology is going. And if you're a small business owner, how you can utilize it in your small business. Now, I hope this entices you again to go read and learn more about cryptography, blockchain, dApps, and smart contracts. This is the future and it is not going away. I promise. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Age of Jeremy. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. If you can do me a favor, please rate this podcast if your podcatcher allows you to. Talk to you soon.